that was so difficult because in moments when you feel like you've given everything and you still fail and it's just not enough, what do you do? <sighs> Who are you in those moments, you know? What, what, what do you lean into? Who do you lean into? And being the oldest, I'm supposed to be, be carrying the family name. I'm supposed to be doing this, you know, you can create a list. I'm supposed to be leading, I'm supposed to be doing blah, 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 blank, blank, blank. And here I am failing face flat. And failure was definitely not what I wanted as part of my name. Hey, welcome to Night Church, the Friday evening service of Praxis, the young adult ministry of the Loma Linda University Church. You're going to be hearing some great sermons, testimonies on this podcast that are going to encourage and deepen your faith. We are so excited that you're here, and I hope you enjoy this sermon, and so much so that you share it with someone that you love. Welcome. Good good evening, everyone. Good, good. Good to see all your, well, can't see your smiles, but I'm assuming that everyone's smiling. Um, and I'm happy to be here this evening with you guys. Um, so the, the other day I was thinking, um, and I have, a, I have a tendency to um, think out loud, Sometimes I do it in the car, sometimes I'm in the room, but I'm, I'm thinking out loud and uh, really feeling through my experience over the past year. And um, what I can definitely say is it has been a long year. Would you guys agree with me? It has been a long year. Um, I can definitely say I'm tired. <laughs> But hey, we've made it, and um, I want to say by the grace of God, we've made it. That's correct. And I, I know for some of you, it's graduation weekend, and um, I just wanted to take a moment to celebrate your grit, your hard work, and persistence. And so really, just really quick, I just wanted to raise, raise your hand if you guys are graduating this weekend or soon, the next couple weekends. Just raise your hand. Hi. Can we give a hand? Good work, guys. You got through your last year of your education through the pandemic, and um, I'm sure it was difficult. Now, as we consider education and school, um, I was thinking, you know, many of us spend four years of our time in school studying, learning, and um, being trained, you know, being trained to be healthcare professionals or whatever field that you are pursuing. And it's interesting, right? Like, you come to, uh, you come to this weekend, um, the peak of your education experience, you could say, the graduation weekend, and um, it, it's interesting because there's a change that happens, right? So I know um, you move the tassel I think it's from the right to the left. Correct me if I'm wrong. Do you guys know? Yeah. Point is, you move the tassel from one side to the other side, and it's supposed to represent um, this moment. You know, things are changing. 
there's change. And I think uh, something you can definitely note, it's notable, is that there's a change in your name, right? So for, let's say, for medical students, at the end of your name, what, what are the letters that you get? My med students, where are you guys at? Yeah, you get an MD at the end of your name. You guys know that, okay? So for the dental students, what do you get at the end of your name? DMD? Okay, is that, is that right? Oh, okay. So you, you get these abbreviations is my point, right? So the pharmacist, you get PharmMD. For the OTs, you get o ODT. PTs, you know, something like that. Um, and um, it may, here, and here's the thing, like it may seem insignificant, right? It's like, okay, these are uh, these letters that you get to put at the end of your name, but here's the thing, they're not so insignificant um, because they allow you to earn a new identity and this new identity um, comes with additional rights and responsibilities as you move about and become uh, a contributing member in society. And so as I consider that, I, I realize that names, um, names are more than just a convenience that allow people to talk to each other, right? Names aren't just um, something that we have. Names are important. They give us meaning, right? When you name things, you give that thing meaning. How many of you guys have named your car? You guys name your car? Yeah, so you kind of uh, build a relationship. It gives a meaning to that object. And also, when we name things, it brings us meaning, right? And so it gives us a sense of identity, which allows us to connect to the world around us. It's like a brand. That's how I like to think about it. It's like a brand. So quick couple questions for you guys. I want you guys to engage with me here. Um, when you think of Apple, what do you think of? What's the first thing that comes to your mind? iPhone, okay, okay. What else? Steve Jobs. Fruit. Oh. So there's, there's like probably a list of five things that most of us are gonna say, right? So Steve Jobs, iPhone. Apple pie, interesting. Um, okay, so question number two. When you think of the Chicago Bulls, what do you think of? Michael Jordan, Air Jordan, Nike, right? Like, those are things that come to your mind. That's the brand. That, that's what it represents. Now, when you think of the painting Starry Night, what do you think of? Yeah. So immediately, you've already associated um, you've associated that thing with something else. It's a name. It, it allows you to do that. And so these brands are all known for something, right? And so the name that we carry, the name that you carry, the name that I ca uh, carry, as an individual embodies a certain qualities, characteristics, and these elements can um, determine how successful you'll be able to develop um, personal and professional relationships. Um, and it's why first impressions matter, right? You get to, you introduce somebody, you meet them, they say their name, and you kind of you kind of get a vibe, you know, like, oh, that person had a good vibe, that person didn't have a good vibe. And 
you get, to, you get an essence of the person in that moment. So names are significant. Now, as I was thinking about all this, um, it's a, a question that came to my mind was, well, what are you known for, right? Like, what am I known for? And what am I known for? And what do I want to be known for? So allow me to introduce myself. Um, my name is Abhijit Andrews. And if, what am I known for? My friends here in the front row would tell me that for sure. I'm known to be late, a little late. Pro a little is probably, I'm being generous to myself. You could definitely ask them and they'll tell me, they'll tell you how late I can be. So that's one thing, that's a critique I, I uh, receive. I can be late, I run late. Um, I can also tend to talk a lot, that's a thing. Um, so if you, if you talk to your friends, they'll be able to tell you, like, well, what's something you're known for, right? And so I'm the oldest of two in my family. Um, I was born in India, and I spent the first 10 years of my life living over there. And then my family decided to move to America um, in hopes of a better future, right? The dream was to make me a doctor, um, find me a nice wife, buy a car, own a home, and make sure that they can be grandparents by the time they're 25. It's the American dream. So um, I'm 27 and they're devastated because I'm not a doctor. Uh, I didn't find a nice wife. I don't have a car. Oh, I have a car. I don't own a home. And my parents are, I don't have grand, they don't have grandchildren. So that was the American dream. And you know, it's interesting because they're just happy that I'm back in school, right? So last year, I started grad school. Um, and I, I think uh, it's interesting because there was a, there were about, I took about three years between undergrad and grad school. And so as I started grad school, um, there was, I didn't know what it was like to take difficult science classes in a long time. And so um, I'm coming into summer gross anatomy for those of you that know what summer gross anatomy is like. And um, well, I, just, I learned um, a lot. And I'm not talking about anatomy, but I learned a lot about life, like humiliation and stuff. Um, and so, you know, when you think of 81, like the number 81, as a Laker fan, I think of Kobe Bryant, you know, because I'm like, yeah, 81, that's a monumental game. Like he drops 81 on the, Toronto, it's just about, when you think of 81, you think of domination. But when I think of 81, I think about survival. Because, the, <laughs> because those are the grades I needed to get on the last couple tests to make sure I don't get kicked out of school. So 81 is a number that has been forever imprinted into my brain. <sighs> so here's the thing. I remember coming into, um, I remember coming into um, anatomy and um, I was on Zoom with Jason here and we were, you know, when it was the first time we were on Zoom and, you know, Jason messages me in the, in the chat. He's like, hey man, what's up? And it's like the secret chat, you know, you, we do the direct messages. So these are all pandemic things, right? And we're talking and we're getting used to the um, grad school experience and the first week comes around, we have labs, things are picking up, things are getting busy, we're meeting new people. Um, and the first 
week the test comes around and it is a devastating experience. Um, it was very difficult and I was like, it's okay, it's the first test, I'll be fine. I'm a very optimistic person. I'm too optimistic, so that's the problem. Um, and so then I'm like, yeah, it's just one test, dude, you got it, it's fine. Test week two comes around, I do a little better, I'm like, I mean, nah. still a struggle. Um, I'm like, we'll be fine. You know, my friends are definitely getting stressed out. They're like, what is, what's happening? Week three comes around, and that, I, what I reali didn't realize is the first two weeks were supposed to be warm-up weeks. They're like going easy on you so they could boost your grade and stuff. So if you mess up on those two weeks, it's like downhill from there. What? <laughs> so week three comes around, and that test was very difficult. And week four comes around, and that's even more difficult. So now I'm sitting in week four, and I remember looking at my grade like, what is happening? I need to average an 81 to make it out. <sighs> um, it, was, it was difficult, you know? It was difficult to look at myself and say, wow, like, you are failing right now, and you need to do better. So then this, uh, the next week, I remember studying so hard, very, very hard, and um, I studied like, I don't know, it was like 40 muscles or something in one week, and it was just a lot of information, and I just remember staying up, and I actually tried to get enough sleep the night before. I go into the exam, I'm like prepared, I'm ready to go. I did my best. And then I go to the exam, and um, what I realize is, I just flipped, I had to draw a diagram out. We call them downloads. And I just labeled, I mislabeled two parts of the diagram incorrectly. And that cost me like 10 points. And so I remember in the test, I'm like, I have to stay calm. This is what I think the answer is. I, I remember leaving the test. And the first thing I go, I check my notes. And then I find out that I, mislabeled it and now and then, and then I have a, a practical after so it's like I'm definitely not in the right headspace for the practical because I'm like 81 well now whatever is required of me is even greater 81's gone um and that's when a level of stress I had I've never experienced I'm like oh my goodness the practical didn't go that great either um, and so now I'm looking at the last two weeks of the quarter, and I'm thinking to myself, I have to average 91s in the last two exams, which are the two hardest exams in the class. Uh, and I'm like, well, this is going to be fun. I remember um, at the, I made it through week six, right? Or week six, yeah, because I think week seven is the last week. Yeah, I went in through week six, and I knew it was bad when I walked in to lab, and one of the TAs, who's a good friend, you know, uh, we're cool, he said, hey, man, welcome back, you know, and I was like, what? So I, I knew that the TAs were managing me, and they were like, hey, I, we're, they were like rooting for me, and, and I remember thinking after week eight, after things were done, and I made it, praise God, by the grace of God, I'm here, um, I remember thinking that that was so difficult because in moments when you feel like you've given everything and you still fail and it's just not enough, what do you do? 
who are you in those moments, you know? What, what do you lean into? Who do you lean into? And so the valleys of failure teach you um, lessons that uh, the success on the mountains will never do, right? So there's character development that occurs in the valleys that um, you wouldn't learn um, on the mountain peaks. And so I, I felt like I, I needed to learn that. And being the oldest, I'm supposed to be, be carrying the family name. I'm supposed to be doing this. You know, you can create a list. I'm supposed to be leading. I'm supposed to be doing blah, 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 blank, blank, blank. And here I am failing face flat. And failure was definitely not what I wanted as part of my name or my brand. And so tonight, I wanted to explore an important lesson I learned as I faced failure. Um, but first, we're going we're gonna to look at um, how God engages with us as human beings in such moments. And, um, and what we can learn about God's name, God's brand. And, and there's a few things, right? We can learn what he's known for and what he wants to be known for. Right, so what he is known for, and what he's would like to be known for as well. And so, we read Exodus three, and I'd like to go there again. So Exodus three, right? If you have your Bibles, feel free to turn with me, right? And Pastor Philip did a great job of giving us some context as to what's happening here in Exodus three. Moses is um, here at the burning bush, and just to give you guys some context for those of you that don't know the story, um, this is what I would tell you just a little bit of context. So Moses was an Israelite. He got saved by an Egyptian princess when he was a baby, and so he grew up in the palace, and um, he knew he was an Israelite. He knew who he was. That was his identity, but, you know, as he witnessed the Egyptians um, treat his people, um, he, you know, it, it stirred up something in him, right? He, he saw the injustices that were happening to his um, his people, the Israelites. And so he decided to take things into his own hands, which, by the way, it never goes well. Anytime any Bible character takes things into their own hands, never goes well. So he ends up killing an Egyptian, um, flees into the desert after, um, and then he lives his best life as a shepherd, right? So he goes from the palace very quickly to the pastures is the essence of that story. And now it's another day as a shepherd, and he's walking around, um, taking care of the sheep, and he runs into a burning bush. And um, he starts talking to the bush, and it's, he's definitely intrigued, and he's engaging in a conversation with God, right? And God tells him, in essence, I've seen the oppression of my people, and I'd like to save them. Are you in? Are you in or not? This, I'm God. I got you. Are you in? And um, Moses starts, he's doubtful. He's, he's not sure of himself. He's not sure what to do. Um, but we read, right? So he says in verse 11, but Moses protested to God, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? And God answered, I will be with you. And this is your sign that I am the one who has sent you. And you fast forward, right? You fast forward. And Moses continues to complain and protest. And verse 14, God replies. He says, I am 
who I am. Say this to the people. I am who I am. And God said, and he adds, right? He says, say this to the people of Israel. Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, and this is where I want you to pay attention because now God is giving a name, you know? Who are you? Uh, This is who I am. This is what I'm known for. This is what I want to be known for. He says, this, say this to the people of Israel, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. And then he says, which is very interesting, he says, this is my eternal name, the name that I will be forever remembered for, you know? It's very interesting. My eternal name. I'll always be remembered by this. So, I, um, to, to really understand this verse, um, I, you kind of have to understand the stories of these three patriarchs. You have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And here's the, here's the interesting thing. This is where I stop in the verse, and I'm like, well, God of Abraham? The thing about Abraham essentially was God gave him a promise, and eventually later in the story, um, God also, we're talking about names, right? God also gives him a new name. So his name was Abram. His wife's name was Sarai. But towards the, later in the story, God gives him a new identity and says, you're no longer going to be called Abram. Your wife's no longer going to be called Sarai. It's Abraham now, okay? Abraham. And so when he refers to himself, he says Abraham. But then Isaac Isaac's name was always Isaac, but when you get to Jacob, if you read Jacob's story, it's the same pattern. It's, his name starts off as Jacob, story goes on. Later, at the end of the story, God says, you will no longer ever be called, ever be called Jacob. Your name is Israel. So when I read that, I think, wait a minute, we're never supposed to call him by his old name. But why is God identifying himself, himself, the God, the, the God of the universe is saying, I am the God of Jacob. Why is God associating himself with, with him? So tonight, I, I wanted to talk about, a little bit about Jacob's story. And Jacob was uh, the son of Isaac and Rebekah. Um, Isaac and Rebecca had Rebecca had twins, Jacob and Esau, and the story goes they were prophesied, and the two were going to be they were going to be rivals, right? So the Bible says the older son will end up serving the younger, and so in fact it was interesting because the Bible says Jacob was born with his hand grasping Esau's heel. And so the sibling rivalry began at birth. Now, here's the thing about Jacob and Esau. Um, Jacob had this desire to carry the family name. Um, And Esau, not so much, right? Because early in the story, what you realize is one day Esau comes home. Jacob is cooking. He's at home. He's doing his thing. Esau is super hungry. And Jacob says, or Esau says, hey, can you like, give me a bowl of this stew. 
And Jacob is thinking to himself, well, this is my moment now, you know? I can get the birthright. I've been wanting it. I want to lead the family. I want to be the man of the house. Let me get the birthright. I want it. Esau doesn't even care about it. And so then Jacob makes a deal, and Esau says, well, I mean, what is this going to be to me? I'm going to get, I'm hungry. I'm going to die if I don't eat. It's very dramatic. And then he sells his whole birthright for a bowl of lentils. So um, that's, you know, and it's interesting because Jacob, it, Jacob desires for leadership and carrying on his family heritage. Um, and those desires weren't evil in it of themselves. Like, those were good things, you know. We all want good things. We want to go to school. We want to get jobs. We want to get married. These are all good things. We want to become leaders. We want to serve. Jacob wanted a good thing. He cared about his family heritage. But it's interesting because when good things in your life become ultimate concerns, they become idols. It's idolatry. So unfortunately, this desire um, for this family blessing became idolatrous because how do we know that? Well, down the story, Jacob and Rachel plot to steal Esau's blessing. So now the mom's in on the scheme. They're both scheming together. It's a mess. It's like if it, it could be a pretty good reality TV show, honestly. Um, so they're scheming. The dad is blind, so he doesn't know what's going on. It's, it's really shady. So Jacob pretends to be Esau. He covers himself in fur. And then Rebecca cooks Isaac's favorite meal, and the plan begins, right? So now they're, you know, Isaac is ready to give off his blessing to the offspring and you know, it's supposed to be this very important and monumental ceremony, and here we are, uh, people in the background scheming, um, trying to steal within a family. And so, unfortunately, um, Jacob, Jacob's and Re uh, Rebecca's plan succeed. Isaac is tricked. Jacob ends up receiving the blessing. And, oh my, when Esau finds out he is upset. And Esau's like a hunter. You know, he's like a, like a really buff. I imagine to be him, him to be like a buff guy. He has like a lot of hair. He works out probably. And he is ready. He has rage. He is ready to kill Jacob. And this is when the family's torn apart. Now Esau wants to kill his brother. Isaac is devastated when he finds out and Rebecca is terrified and isn't sure what to do. So she tells Jacob to run away. Get away from here. I don't want you to die. Get away from here. And just like that, everything, all the good things Jacob ever wanted, just gone, you know? Just like that. It, and I don't think we appreciate the moment in the story. I know we've heard the story, but this is where it just all crumbles, you know? We never talk about the fact that Jacob never sees his mother. He never gets to see her die. He never gets to see his father go away. Like, there's no peace. These decisions impacted them and the rest of their lives. It was a heavy moment. And life doesn't get better. Jacob is running off. Um, he finds himself um, sleeping on a rock at one point. And eventually, he goes to his uncle's home. I'm trying to fast forward the story so you guys could get some context. He goes to his uncle's 
home. He's living with his uncle. Um, and he finds that his, he finds one of the young ladies to be attractive. And so he, he takes seven years to work for her. Um, and then on the night of the wedding, he finds out that his uncle tricked him. Um, he, gave them, he gave him the older daughter. And, and now, at this moment in his life, and I, I thought about this, at this moment in his life, for the first time, the trickery, the scheming, the lying, he, he receives it, you know? He worked for seven years to, to get something that he wanted, and he did it rightfully so, and now there's injustice that he's experiencing in his life. And it's the same thing, you know? It's the same thing, these family dynamics where people aren't honest with you. And so now Jacob is frustrated, but he works for another seven years, um, gets married, and he continues to work for his uncle for a long time. And the story says his uncle was not fair. Um, and so eventually, um, Jacob runs away from Laban. That's his uncle's name, Laban. He runs away. He, he goes, he, he's running away, and a couple days later, Laban finds out. Laban chases after him. And this is really the turning point in the story. So there's this moment of confrontation. So now keep in mind, up until this point, Jacob has been running away from most things in his life. He's ran away from his brother. He's ran away from his family. He's been avoiding conflict. But for once now, things start to change. Um, he's confronted with Laban. And they end up resolving, resolving the conflict. They have a conversation, a civil conversation. And what's interesting is they create a covenant. And Jacob learns to, for once, become a peacemaker, right? So he, he handles that with Laban. The next thing is he has to confront Esau. So he's heading home. He's heading back home now. He has to confront Esau. He makes a couple plans. He sends out some gifts to his brother as a heads up. Hey, I'm coming your way. I hope we can have a conversation. So he's making plans to confront his brother He's righting his wrongs. And then lastly, and this is the most famous part of the story, it's, it's Jacob is praying at night, and then he confronts God. And it's, it's, in the, it's in this moment where he wrestles with God and he receives his new name. And when we go to Genesis 32, uh, you guys can follow me there. We go to Genesis 32 because this is important. Genesis 32, verses, verses 24. So Genesis 32, verse 24, and it says, This left Jacob all alone in the camp, and a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. When the man saw that he did not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of its socket. Then the man said, let go of me, for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let go unless you bless me. And then the man asked, what is your name? He replied, Jacob. Your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on, you will be called Israel. 
because you have fought with God and with men and have won. So it's interesting, this moment that happens here in verse 32, you have to consider what's happened up until this point. God is saying, you confronted man. You know, you confronted Laban, the issues you had with Laban. You've confront, now you're confronting your brother, and now you're confronting God. And you're not letting go. You know, you're not running away anymore, Jacob. So your name is no longer Jacob because you've wrestled and you've conquered. You've conquered these things. And Jacob says, which is very interesting, right? Now, verse 29, Jacob says, please tell me your name. And God doesn't respond the way you would want him to respond. He says, why do you want to know my name? And then he blessed Jacob. And what's interesting is if you go to verse 35, verse um, 10, God again reminds him later that you will never be called Jacob again. You're not to be called Jacob again. You are Israel now. I have given you a new identity. So as, as we look at the story, um, there's a few things that I can take from this entire story. And I, I think as we experience failure and as I shared um, just moments of failure in my life, I look up Jacob's life and I'm like, well, you're one of the three greatest patriarchies that, that we know. It's like God himself identifies with you. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So what is it about this man's life that God's like, yeah, you know, this is going to be my name for eternity. What did Jacob do that was so remarkable? Um, because, I mean, to me, Jacob wasn't some extraordinary hero. He's a younger child who really wanted to be recognized. He wanted to be respected. Um, he wants what his older brother has. And, and the, maybe these are things that we want. Um, he wants to be the leader in his home. And it's all interesting because Jacob's intent was good. However, his actions had very damaging consequences. It, it, changed, it destroyed his family. And the entire story is quite chaotic and catas catastrophic. So there's a couple things we can take away from the story that I think I would like to share with you guys. So three takeaways from the story itself, right? Now, and I want to focus on the third more so than the first two. So the first two, first, cheating isn't it, okay? When, you, when we look at the story, cheating just isn't it. You know, I remember in undergrad, I had a class, I think it was like music appreciation, I don't remember. Um, but I remember not studying for um, the class and then um, I think one of my classmates had the answers to the test and uh, I remember coming in and just like, I mean, I used the answers, you know? And, and I got an A. I mean, my intent was good. I want to get an A. I want to make my parents proud. I want to do these things. We can all justify our actions. Um, but I, I later, after that experience, I thought to myself, well, who am I cheating? Um, I'm cheating myself because I never end up becoming a better student. I never end up becoming a better person. These habits continue to grow. They develop. Who am I cheating? So 
I was like, cheating, man, that's not it. The story falls apart. It just, it, it, again, like I said, it becomes quite chaotic, right? So cheating ain't it. That's number one. Number two, stop running. Um, and this one is difficult for me, too. Um, it's stop running and confront the chaos, right? Stop running and confront the chaos. Um, I think we have a tendency to put away responsibilities. Uh, we kind of like put it off, there's procrastination. I know for sure, like me, in my experience, I do not like conflict. Um, and so having difficult and honest conversations with my friends, um, I tend to put it off. I smile, hey, how you doing? Yeah, I'm doing great, man. Everything's okay, A-okay. And this, the smile is just there, Every, we just move on. We never address the issue. Um, but then I realized, are those even relationships? Um, what are you building there? So stop running, confront the chaos, because conflict, you know, especially with relationships, conflict delayed is just conflict multiplied. Um, and we learned that in Jacob's life. Like, God doesn't give him that title until he addresses and rights the wrongs in his relationship. Because this gospel thing, it's not just a relationship between you and God. It's a relationship between you, God, and the people around you. And Jacob doesn't get that new identity until he's able to, again, um, confront the chaos, right his wrongs. And number three, and I think this is the one many of us might resonate with, which is, um, what if it's too late? You know, what if I've already messed up? I already lied, I already stole, I already cheated. Um, I've done those things, and what do I do now? Is it too late? Can I right my wrong? Um, will God accept me? And I think to answer that, um, you have to understand and go back to what I um, mentioned earlier, which is the question, why does God introduce himself as the God of Jacob? Why does he do that? So when, like I said, when you go to Genesis 32, He's wrestling with God, and God says, um, that's no longer going to be your name, right? There's this wrestling match. We read that. But I wanted to try and understand this a little bit more in light of this entire gospel story, this Christ thing, the cross. Uh, what does this all mean? Why does God say I'm the God of Jacob? Um, and so uh, I turned to 1 Corinthians. Um, so let's go to 1 Corinthians or actually 2 Corinthians, sorry about that, 2 Corinthians, verse 5. 2 Corinthians, verse 5. And we're going to go to verse, so 2 Corinthians, verse 5. Uh, sorry, 2 Corinthians, chapter 5, verse 16. Yeah, let's start with 16. So, it says, we have stopped eva evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely as a human, 
we, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has began. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to give himself through Christ. And God has given us the task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, to himself, no longer counting people's sin against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors, and God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ, and this is it right here, verse 21, and I'm going to read it twice. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering of our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. So God, what is he known for and what does he want to be known for. Um, Jacob's, the God of Jacob, you know, the, the man who was a liar, cheater, coward. God of Jacob? It's interesting because uh, Jacob is given a new identity. And you know what's crazy? God takes on his old identity. It's what Christ did on the cross. Now, these sins, they were paid for. They weren't just excused, you know. They were paid for. And on the cross, Christ says, I, the God of Jacob, am not just the God of your success. I am not just the God of your good days. I'm not the God of just your competence, your good deeds, your intelligence, you name it. I'm not just that God. The God of Jacob is the God of failures, the God of your mistakes, the God of your sins, the God of your pain, the God of your sorrow, and your loneliness. God takes on the curse of the sinner and exchanges it for his righteousness. And so when he says, I'm the God of Jacob, and that's going to be na my name for eternity, it's he's telling you how much he loves you and, and the extent he'll go for each one of you. Gives you a new identity. And in those moments when you're feeling um, like you're not enough, you're feeling like a failure, you're feeling alone, you're feeling the pain, you're feeling the anxiety. 
think of the God of Jacob. So tonight at Praxis, um, I'd like for us to, as we just sing this last song, I'd like for us to think about the God of Jacob. And I want to extend the good news that God is with you. He's for you. Um, and he's writing your story and journeying alongside you. Hey, thank you so much for joining us for the Night Church podcast. We really are excited for where we're going, and you can help us in that mission. There's a few things that you can do. Number one is just stay connected. So if you want to follow up what's going on in the young adult ministry here at Loma Linda University Church, follow us on Instagram at Praxis Ministry. And then the other way to really build from this is to financially contribute. Your donations make such a big impact. And so if you go to lluc.org slash give, you can connect with Praxis Ministry there. On a one-time gift or a reoccurring commitment, it makes such a difference. Well, we love you, care for you, and may God bless you richly as you take theory and make it into practice.